Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, uh, as we mentioned and as we still are, just really excited. Excited to be able to kind of, this is the beginning of the podcast year for us, so forever grateful and, and lucky to be able to do this. And last podcast was one that was a, a whole lot of fun. Talk about defensive ends, defensive tackles. Uh, going to continue with uh, with some of the more enjoyable conversation, uh, at least when we look at individual position groups and we're talking about the secondary and uh, a linebacker conversation that I'm eager to get into because there's a, a lot of optimism about that group and hopefully we'll be able to give our listeners uh, an honest conversation as to how much of that optimism is warranted, what to expect, uh, just a, a fun time of year. And it's certainly made better by the off season that we've gone through and the idea that we really have college football here sitting us in the face, uh, gosh, less than two weeks, almost 10 days away. So yay for that. Yay for the good people of New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, title sponsor of the Nolcast. And with that, bud, let's, uh, let's jump straight into some linebacker talk. Let's do it, man. Yeah, I, I, this is a, a position group which I'm actually excited about. Not, not because I think they're going to be good, but because I do think that we are going to see uh, improvement in this p- specific position group here uh, in 2020. So just a quick rundown. I know you and I are pretty high on Coach Chris Marv, who came over from Mississippi State, previously at Vanderbilt. Coach Coach Marvell knows him pretty well. And everybody I've talked to, they seem to really love the guy as far as his ability to coach. Um, on, on, on the last show, you said you think he's going to be a head coach in relatively short order. I, I agree. Uh, the guy, guys, you know, he's, he's, he's put together. He's sharp. And look, I, I think it's, I'm not one of these guys who believes that FSU upgraded with every single hire over what the last staff had, right? Like, I, I don't think it's just a clean sweep across the board. Every coach they have is better now than, than the prior one. But one position where I do think they made a legitimate upgrade in the coaching side of things is at linebacker, right? It's yet to be seen if if Chris Marv is a better recruiter than Raymond Woody. I kind of have my doubts that he is. However, I do think that he is a better linebackers coach than Coach Woody. I think these guys last year were not very well coached. Obviously, there's something to be said for the fact that they were trying to run, I don't want to say two different schemes, but they were trying to kind of mesh together two different things, which was confusing at times to some of the players. I think this group is going to be better coached, man. I really do. Uh, and additionally, Two things. Number one, they only have one guy to replace in Dontavious Jackson, who I actually think you could probably argue is addition by subtraction in, in for some, you know, kind of leadership off field stuff. Not off field as, as in his bad dude, but just like, you know, some of the, some of the fake bravado type, type stuff on the field there. I think losing some of that is, is good for the overall team. Uh, but also this linebacker group last year was terrible. I mean, their coverage liability was one of the major problems with the defense. And in addition to them being undisciplined, they did not make up for it with like, if you're going to be undisciplined, you better make some damn plays. And the linebacker group made like zero plays. They were actually 124th in Bill Connolly's havoc rate nationally among linebackers. I mean, dude, 124th is incredibly bad. They showed very little awareness. They were one of the worst teams in the country in terms of getting hit uh, by draws and quarterback scrambles uh, on you know longer down and distance, which is just kind of you know kind of crazy. There's nowhere to go but up for these guys, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's a very <laughs> you know that can sound kind of uh, fanish to say something like that, but I think I think it's very warranted. 
Dontavius Jackson was just a, a frustrating character uh, to watch at times last year. A guy who has, you know, decent amount of natural ability, uh, but I think honestly was, uh, was kind of bereft of confidence, particularly at the beginning of the year. And it really spilled into his play and not just his ability to make, you know, the big play, but to do simple things. The fumble recovery or attempted recovery against Boise State's one of the more both emblematic and wildly frustrating moments that we've we've seen out of Florida State over the past half a decade or so. And uh, Jackson was a nice recruit and had some nice moments, but uh, it's rare that I sign off on the idea of addition by subtraction. But I, I think in this case, it absolutely applies. So, and I also I think it's worth noting that like when we talk about Marv and we talk about, hey, look, he's a former. He's a former player. He's really impressive uh, when you personally, you know, when you meet him. He's a sharp guy. All of those things are true, but it can almost sound like code, like, hey, all this stuff, and maybe he's not a, you know, great X's and O's guy, or maybe he's not a, a great position coach when you start to talk about guys with a, a trajectory like that professionally. A significant upgrade from year-over-year coaching, and, and I'm a fan of Woody, and, and I agree with you about uh, – about his recruiting prowess, and I, I think that that's a little bit of a loss. But from an individual coach standpoint, probably the most dramatic uh, upgrade over over per unit, uh, nineteen to twenty. So excited to to see what we we uh, have in front of us as far as conversation. Really excited to see what we can get from this unit uh, as we transition to the twenty twenty unit. Uh, I think it's going to be fun, man. I mean, you know, everybody has their ideas of what their specific teams look like and what they want them to look like. But historically, you know, Florida state is built around a, a mean defense, a mean defense. that has got linebackers that will, you know, make plays on the other line of scrimmage, be incredibly impactful. The idea that, you know, what you just talked about with, uh, with a havoc rating is hard to fathom that that's really what, where we are with Florida state linebackers. But uh, I think this step is a, or this year is a big step forward. And I'm, Again, I'm not trying to tell everybody everybody's going to be all world and you know they're going to be Derek Brooks from his what junior year where I think he scored three touchdowns in the first two games or something like that. But I think this is a young group, a fun group, and really excited to both talk about them this morning and uh, project to what we will see on the field in 2020. Did you ever see the, the VHS tape Countdown to Glory? It was like the 93 season and it, but they had a clock with, with, with all, all 12 opponents on it. And it like, it was like they had the logo of each FSU opponent on it. And they, are you reaching in the background for this? There's no way you have this handy. Oh my God. Okay. So uh, you guys can't see the video, but Ingram is, uh, like in, in, in the man cave here. He has it. Okay. He has it. Yeah. I, I that Kansas sequence, the, the, the Kansas sequence from that VHS tape is just, you talk about the goal line stand yes. from that? Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It is hilarious that, uh, that I had that less than 10 feet from me when you referenced it, but yeah. So for, for younger fans out there, 93, they open, was it the first game in the, it was in the Meadowlands. So like the, the old New York giants Jets stadium, the Kansas was ranked 22, 24, somewhere in that area. I mean, they weren't just, uh, they weren't just rollover Kansas and they, so Florida state had a couple was it personal fouls? I think from uh, like, like inside their own two yard line, and Kansas ends up getting nine cracks. I think from the two or from the three or the one, depending on where the where the snap was, and they still don't get in, which was just absolutely incredible. And yeah, that, that was a that was a pretty nasty defense there, and and portended of, of, uh, of things to come. Speaking of things to come, man, 
I think we're going to hit 80. I think we're going to hit 80 loans through Shannon Young, man. 844 FSU loan. There's a reason so many Old Cast listeners have chosen to go with Shannon, with Chad for, for their loan needs. 844 FSU loan. It's great customer service. It's availability uh, to get awesome rates for y'all and you know, some fun old chatter. When you give Shannon a call, 844 FSU loan, just sent out a couple more shirts the other day and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious, man. I'm, I'm excited to get to 80. So let's, uh, Let's do that thing, and, and let's let's go ahead and get deeper into this linebacker preview. Let's do. So we talked in the last podcast that we did about some of the positions that are associated with this uh, this group and this kind of defensive philosophy. We'll go over it again real quickly, and I'll let you do this. Is quite frankly, you do a better job than I do. But you got the mic, the will, and then the stud. Uh, so give our listeners just a quick recap as to the expectations and ideas surrounding those three positions. Sure. So, so your stud is going to play. Your stud is essentially kind of your hybrid backer slash safety, but he's also a a blitzer. He'll he'll walk out occasionally over uh, like like a detached tight end if if you need him to, or you know perhaps a slot if if you know, if teams go no huddle. Uh, I do think FSU wants to match personnel, so I don't think they want to play uh, their, their four three against eleven, you know, or or three wide stuff too often, especially not because they have really good defensive back core. Uh, but when they're in their 43, you'll, you'll see uh, the stud who's going to play to the wide side, which is you know, the field side, uh, your Mike linebacker, which is your middle middle backer, uh, and, and then your weak side linebacker, which which they'll call the will. That's, again, nothing really revolutionary about these terms. A lot of teams uh, use this stuff, but this is just what Adam Fuller calls it, so we want to be accurate in our terminology. So uh, starting with the stud backer, I, I think this is the one where we actually have kind of a legitimate battle going on, and I'm not confident in, who, in who's going to start here. Do you have a you have a favorite here? Because I'm I'm not even sure there is going to be a guy who gets you know the, a super majority of snaps. Yeah, I I think Kalen Deloach is the guy at the end of the year who maybe takes more snaps than anybody else at this particular position. I said last year at some point that I thought Deloach was was destined to be a starter this year just because of, uh, of both what he's done and, and kind of his approach to the – he's had a matureness about his approach to the position that, that other young players maybe haven't had. And also he's got a, got a little bit of a unique skill set uh, based off other aspects of, of what you can find from, uh, from the people when we talk about uh, both this particular position and kind of the broader linebacker core in general. But we're talking about Amora Gaynor and Kalen Deloach really is the two that are – kind of battling for this position. Both of them are, you know, exceptional athletes. Surprise, surprise, they're playing linebacker at Florida State. Uh, Gainers, you know, probably a little bit more of a threat to uh, to rush the passer and be a little bit more impactful on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, Deloach is a solid tackler, reads the game fairly well from what we can see so far and from what we've heard from coaches for practice, but is uh, probably the best asset that you have in pass coverage when you talk about a linebacker. So. I think those are kind of the two, you know, if, if there's a dividing characteristics uh, between the two players, that was kind of how I would label them. And then, um, you know, a, a, a gentleman that we're all familiar with, uh, kind of Dacalon Brooks is the, the third option here uh, at this position. Yeah, so I, I, I agree with you. I, I think it's it's Deloach or, or Gaynor, and maybe they don't have a guy. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe they do have, have a guy, whether it's, it's, it's Gaynor or Deloach, and he just takes it and runs with it. I, I think you said it, man. Gainer is a real threat to rush the passer. He did so uh, like effectively as a blitzer 
in high school. Uh, I, I think Deloach is probably better in coverage than Amari is. Uh, the question here is going to be, what do you really want to get out of this position? If it's, if it's coverage, then I think Deloach is probably the better option. If it's, it, you know, impact as far as against the run and as a blitzer, then Gator might be a better option. But, the, but additionally here, if you, if you need coverage so much, the, the counter might just be, well, why don't you just get into your, get in your nickel package? Right? Like at, at some point, or is the goal to be able to stay in, in, in your 43 look and still play effective coverage against, you know, that type of base personnel? That's going to be a question that we, I, I don't know the answer to yet. I, I want to see how Coach Fuller matches personnel there and, and, you know, matches packages. So I guess we'll see how that works, but I, I think they have some options there. Um, you know, that, that Brooks is seemingly third, I think is a good sign, right? Like we, I'm not trying to disparage the guy, but I don't think he is at this point in his career uh, a positive sign if he's starting on a Florida State defense, personally. Size, speed limitations there, um, even if he's a smart player. From kind of a position of an, a little bit of an unknown, but optimism to a position of maybe known, but maybe a little bit less upside optimism. Uh, we, we we go to the Mike backer with uh, with Leonard Warner, a guy who we know a lot about, and he is stout. Uh, not the best player in pass coverage, but I think a guy who also uh, is willing to learn and is going to benefit from the the, the better coaching this year, in, in my opinion, quite a bit. Like Warner's a bright guy. I, I, I think. I mean, his instincts in, in in coverage have always been a little bit of a question. Uh, to me and, and his, his reaction times, but maybe if he better understands his keys, maybe if he's coached on what to key on a little bit more or is given more freedom, um, one of the two, perhaps he can play better for them this year. He, he is a, a physical guy in that like, he's not really a huge striker to me, but he's not like one of these dudes who's going to get just pushed over because he is fairly stout. Yeah, he's a, a prospect that, uh, and not that I don't want the best for, for everybody that signs with Florida State, but always somebody that I've followed a little bit closer. He's a Gwinnett County kid that uh, I was familiar with throughout the majority of his recruiting process. Uh, yeah, just a hard worker, guy that, you know, whatever whatever frustrations that we may have with Leonard Warner when we look back on this year in eight months or, or, or five months, you know, it's not going to be because of effort or attention or whatever else so you're going to get as much out of that kid i think as you can and uh i'm fascinated to see you know we we talked for five minutes about the improvement of coaching i think you're accurate that this might be the individual that you see that the most in from year over year play and and how that's impacted so uh, we're not sitting here telling you he's going to be you know first team all conference but i do think that there's a, more of a player in warner than we've seen and uh, and really interesting to see what Marv is able to do with him. Some of the other names at this position is uh, are is pretty interesting to talk about. To be quite honest with you, uh, DJ Lundy is a is a physical freak. I'm a little bit curious to get your thoughts as to how some of the other responsibility that Zay has, how that impacts you know both his ability to play, both his progression. Uh, obviously, I'm not. I don't think that's going to be a massive limitation. But I think we're talking about a guy. That's probably on every special teams unit that you have, and a guy that's gotten, you know, some type of of run at least situationally at, at fullback on offense. So uh, I think the staff knows that they've got a, you know, a, a physical specimen if you want to use a term like that, and uh, going to use him every way possible. He's a big dude, man. I mean, he's a big. He looks like a linebacker from from 1988. I'll put it that way. 
It doesn't mean he can't be a hell of a player. Uh, it does mean that we have to see how that works, you know, how they use him, uh, whether or not he's a, an immediate liability in different aspects of the game. Look, uh, he's, you know, he's a state champion wrestler from Georgia. It's, obviously, I'm, a, I'm as big of a fan of the guy as possible, and I think he's, uh, he's going to be a hell of a player. I just think maybe a little bit of a uh, – I don't even want to use the term challenge – it just may be a little bit of a unique experience to try to find where Lundy's best to play. I, I completely agree with you. I, this is going to be fascinating. So this is going to involve discussion of the offense real quick, but their tight end room is something that we previously reported that the staff thought was was pretty terrible, right? That's why they went out and got Jordan to transfer, and then you know Jordan gets hurt. I think they're going to have to use the fullback this year more than they wanted to use a fullback because they wanted it to run more packages with a tight end or even multiple tight ends. To me, running packages with multiple tight ends right now with this group, that's, that's, that, that's, uh, to, to use kind of a sports betting term, that, that's negative EV, right? Like that's, ne- that's, that's negative expectation, in my opinion, putting, putting multiple of those guys on the field. Uh, because you're not relying on Lundy to start, I do think using him as a fullback, uh, in, in certain packages or just when they want to run a fullback makes some sense. He's a physical guy. He can get low. We know he's a striker based on his high school film. Um, I think that might be the, the kind of best and highest use of him for this season. Now, my questions about him on defense are, are not really instincts because it looks like, like based on what we see in high school, he, he does a good job you know, diagnosing and, and, and striking. Uh, but if he's really like 6'1", 260, it's going to be, can, can he cover enough to stay on the field? Because with the modern passing game, man, it's not, I'm not saying people don't run concepts anymore because they certainly do, but there are certain, certain programs and probably an increasing number of programs like watch Oklahoma, right? They have incredible talent. And so I don't want to downplay that, but they literally will go into a game and basically just attack one guy over and over again and make him make choices that, that are going to put him in the wrong and then isolate on him uh, until basically you take him off the field. And then when you take him off the field, they'll, they'll run something else. More and more programs, I think, are looking at that and and saying, man, like if you play a guy who just can't cover, it's almost like if you watch competitive seven on seven, which I do a lot, some of these traditional programs will still play a true linebacker at linebacker, whereas most seven on seven teams now are just going to put basically seven corner slash safety types out there, even at the quote unquote linebacker spots. They're just going to go at you. Every single time. I remember watching, watching Team Tampa back when they had Artavis Scott. And they were playing some team who had a pretty highly rated linebacker, like a great recruited linebacker. And they just threw the ball to Tay Scott every time because they just ran him on little choice routes. Like, okay, cool. This guy just cannot cover this dude in space. Now, it's not the same when you're playing in pads and when you're playing real football. But there is an element there to where there's a minimum level of coverage that you need to be able to play. And I want to see what he can do. I haven't heard that he's a liability in pass coverage in camp so far, which is encouraging. But also, I don't know how well FSU's offense is equipped to test him in that regard. I, I don't expect very much of this offense this year. Uh, but I do expect pretty good improvement out of the linebacker position. Um, and I think they have some depth here, right? You, you have two other guys. I think if you had told people two years ago that Julian McCray was probably going to be third team, that's kind of surprising. And I think it speaks to uh, the depth they have at the position. If not, like, I, I don't know that they have the top end here, but I do think they have 
like some guys who are backups who you put in there who can at least play. What would have made the drill McCray statement all the more impressive is that uh, you're telling me that that kid's third team and played in every game that you played last year. So what I mean by that is he, he hasn't suffered knock on wood, you know, some of some of the flare ups from the injuries that he, that he took in high school. And it, at times was a, you know, look at, <laughs> he was one of the few people that actually looked like a Florida state linebacker when he put his uniform on last year. And so there was times where he'd make plays where you're like, man, why is this guy not playing? Why is this guy not, you know, taking 70% snaps? And then there's times where, you know, just undisciplined, aggressive uh, to a fault. Uh, McCray has some things to really be optimistic about, but also a guy that can be refined significantly uh, from a from a position coach standpoint. So fascinated to see what they uh, what they get out of the IMG product. Uh, but yeah, a guy that hey, look, the idea that he played in every game that you that you played last year knock on wood, didn't sustain any further knee injuries after the two that he had in high school. Um, I think you have to be both optimistic about McRae and also realize that there's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, and then another Georgia guy, Kevon Glenn, is, is a player that I'm excited to see what they can get out of. Another thumper here. They they, they don't really lack for strikers and thumpers, man. They, they, my, my real question is going to be, how well does this unit cover? Because coverage is kind of more important now in college football than, than the run game is. It's just, it, it just is. Passing is more efficient. If you can't stop the pass, I mean, it used to be like, if you can't stop the run, teams won't pass because passing was thought to be more risky. Nowadays, if you can't stop the pass, teams are going to throw 40, 50 times on you and just eat you up, as we saw last year. Like a lot of teams didn't bother to try to run the ball against Florida State's defensive front because, hell, passing was a better option. And there, there wasn't much downside to it. Getting to the uh, to the wheel position is is a I'm excited about this spot, man. I really want to see what you get out of Emmett Rice in his senior year. Although, I mean, technically, with the new eligibility rules, he could easily be he could be around for two more years. But Emmett Rice was your leading tackler last year from the backer position, 50, 56 tackles. Which, gosh, that was I mean, fifty six tackles was your leading tackler. At linebacker, I know we had some injuries last year uh, that, that we had to account for in this. Uh, four and a half tackles for loss, five and a half havoc plays, um, eight run stuffs. Just, I think we can get more out of Emmett Rice. Like, aren't you expecting to see more out of Emmett Rice, dude? I, I am. I, I think this is a guy who's going to benefit from the coaching, but yet, I think he has some upside that he can tap into. Like, he's not a dude who's been afraid to to pull the pin and and get after it. I think he's going to be freed up to make plays here. No, he'll pull, he'll pull. Yeah, when when Emmett makes his mind up, it's uh, there's not a lot of you know half stepping uh, going on. I mean, Emmett Emmett pulls the pin and and gets there in, in as violent a, a fashion as as anybody on the roster. Now he's a little bit of an undersized linebacker, a guy that you know still to this date is kind of had his progression significantly altered by by an injury that he sustained and. Last year was really the first time where we saw him just be able to, you know, be free and and, and play in the manner that you expect from him. Uh, but a you know, a kid from kid from Miami who's kind of got that Miami dog in him on the defense, something this defense desperately needs. And uh, again, I'm I'm not here to pump sunshine to everybody and, and tell them that everything's going to be great. But I think you could see a, a decent size jump from Rice from from 19 to 20. I think a, a guy that's you know, never going to look like a Lundy or a next prospect that we're going to look that we're going to talk about as far as physical 
presence, but a guy that's continued to put on good weight, a guy that's uh, progressed from a, an ankle injury that was incredibly nasty at the time it was sustained, and uh, a guy that I think you know we could really look back and and uh, when we talk about this this season in four or five months, talk about him both one of the leaders of the defense as far as a, a leadership or at least leaders of this group, and also a, a really impactful player who you know has the ability to to make plays that just flash and jump out at you. And I'm not sure a whole lot of people on this roster, or at least uh, at the linebacker position, do otherwise. Yeah, so he's probably the only guy who doesn't need to be, or like who needs to be perhaps reined in a little bit, right? The other two guys, I, I think, specifically Warner, need to, to go get it more. Rice is a guy who I think needs to play uh, with better discipline and responsibility, and that's something I do think we could see this year uh, from him. You know, the, 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 does he spill plays when he needs to? If, if he needs to be the force player, you know, there's there's some things here that, that kind of might go unnoticed just on casual viewing where you're like, wait a second. Okay, this guy missed a tackle, but the reason he missed a tackle is because the guy next to him didn't actually squeeze the gap. And so instead of, of limiting the amount of space that, that the running back had to run through, uh, instead the running back has all this space to work on or to, to work in. And thus it's not necessarily uh, reasonable to expect Leonard Warner to come over and make the tackle if Rice is out there uh, in no man's land because he, he, you know, he, he didn't squeeze down the seat. That's stuff that I think will be improved upon. And I don't know that people are going to notice it individually, but I think that will be better with this defense this year. Uh, if he doesn't, there's a pretty young guy, true freshman Stephen Dix, who clearly put the work in in the offseason, had access to the calories, and was already pretty jacked in high school. But, man, Stephen Dix looks like he's a college junior uh, as far as physicality. And we know he's a, he's a decent athlete. They're pretty high on this guy. They're, like he's, he's somebody who Mike Norvell brought up early and often in camp. And while I don't think he's going to be the starter, uh, I do think that this is a pretty pretty nice opportunity for him to get some real playing time this year and and potentially uh, this is the name to know I think for state fans in the coming years so he, he could end up being uh, a star for them yeah kid out of Dr. Phillips this looks like a damn linebacker that's for sure I mean probably the most physically impressive kid uh, in this unit in general and you know one of the more physically impressive guys uh, on the defense in general always the uh, you know this this time of year where the fan base uh, loves to see still shots of <laughs> how jacked these dudes are and and Dak, uh, Dix is is probably leading the uh, <clears throat> leading the charge in that regard. Uh, uh, a player that, like you said, they think the world of. I think this story, when you look at the linebackers, to an extent, will kind of be the the progression of Dix, whether or not he he challenges rights for a starting position, how he kind of emerges. But yeah, when when you talk about the future of the defense, the future of the linebackers, uh, conversation starts with Stephen Dix, and uh, we'll get a, we'll get a chance to see exactly uh, how much. You know that's based out of uh, out of a, an optimism for maybe two to three years from now, or how much this is based out of what you could see from him from twenty twenty. But a lot of excitement from this position group overall as to year over year improvement, and uh, it'd be really interesting to see how they implement the two the two new names that we talked about, uh, Lundy and Dix, and and what you ultimately get from from two kids that certainly appear physically uh, more than ready to play the play the college game. All right, man. So we talked a little bit about a uh, a new name there that uh, there's a lot of excitement and optimism about with Stephen Dix. Uh, we will share the same feelings for our new sponsor, uh, Congruity. So Congruity HR is uh, you know fantastic people that uh, mentioned the past podcast. 
we've been real excited to work for for a while. And we've talked to we've talked to everybody at this company from from uh, from all aspects of the the food chain, and are just really excited. Uh, you know, they are really looking forward to working with our our listener group. We think they can bring exceptional value. Uh, to your business, you know they are a a, a PEO. At least offer the PEO service, which is uh, basically just a better way to do your business more efficiently. Uh, helps you stay competitive uh, with HR and business optimization solutions designed to make your business run better, grow faster, and make more money. Which is uh, ultimately the <laughs> the reason that all of us go into commerce uh, to some extent or another. So. Matt Lewis, major Florida State fan, a guy that will uh, both help your your business run in a more uh, optimal fashion, and, and like I said, uh, you know, give you some talk about what the linebackers and safeties might look like this year as well. So uh, the phone number is eight four four two four seven forty one hundred. The email address that they set up particularly for our listeners is Knowles at congruityhr.com. Again, N O L E S at congruityhr.com. A uh, big tip of the hat to those people who are real excited to give you a better idea as to what they do and how they can make your business run better in the future. No doubt about it, man. Really excited to have Matt and those guys on board, and we're going to get back into it with some talk about the defensive back position. This is a position that last year uh, we look we said was talented and it underachieved. This year, I think we're going to say a similar thing. This is a talented group. Uh, it's a deep group, and this is a a group that I think will play better than it did last year. Uh, most likely because they are running a more one-track scheme, should we say, a, a scheme that, that makes sense to them. And I think they, they have upgraded the coaching in this area. It's not to say that I think Marcus Woodson is a better defensive backs coach than, than Harlan Barnett was uh, necessarily. But I do think that teaching a scheme that he understands how to teach uh, will give Woodson uh, the edge. He's also coaching alongside the defense coordinator in Fuller, uh, as as they both coach the secondary. So let's go ahead and, and get into this. Um, so we don't we don't want really to do an hour and a half podcast on the you know, on the second half of the defense. But you got to replace two guys. So you got to replace Levante Taylor and you got to replace Stanford Samuel's the third. I think one is kind of a loss, and the other is is not much of a loss at all. I. I think people underrate Stanford Samuels III a little bit. Um, you know, he's he's in an NFL camp right now, I, I, I believe, and, and we'll see uh, we'll see how he does. Levante Taylor is is a guy who just never really made an impact at Florida State. He's somebody who did have tremendous physical ability in terms of his speed and quickness, but I think needed a greater kind of focus and people keeping him on on the right track. Um, with Samuels, this is going to be an interesting one because I do think. He was he was very good for them in run support. He was actually fourth on the team in tackles last year. I don't, I don't know if people realize that. Uh, and yet, I don't know about you, man, but I'm not that worried about these losses from a Florida State perspective. I, I think they're going to be be pretty damn solid in the defensive backfield, and and it starts with a rock like Asante Samuel Jr. Yeah, so Samuel Jr. is is as much of a known quantity as. Uh, as there is on this defense, probably other than, than Marvin Wilson, in my opinion. I mean, I, th- I think you've got a pretty good idea as to what you're going to get from him as far as what I would want for 2020. Just make a couple more of those plays that you got your fingertips on last year. You know, there were some times where you saw some some instincts from Samuel uh, Jr. that are really uh, encouraging. 
and maybe the ability to capitalize on the play that's there to be made when those instincts, you know, put you in the right position. So look, the, the difference between how you judge a, a defensive back. And I think you talked about this with, with Dent when you're reviewing this year, Hey, look, if he catches even two of those balls that he gets his hand on, he's probably a freshman all American. He's probably, uh, you know, a guy that everybody's sitting here talking about uh, being one of the, the bigger pieces uh, just from, I don't want to say necessarily a lazy standpoint, but when you look at accolades and how players progress from year to year, uh, and all of that is a long-winded way to say, and if Samuels catches two more balls, maybe takes one of them back for a pick, then you're looking at a player that's a hell of a lot more dynamic. Uh, otherwise, you're just looking at a guy that you feel, or at least in the past, you've been able to feel exceptionally confident it's going to be where he should be, which was a... <laughs> a skill set that you didn't always have in this secondary, whether that was, uh, you know, the, the player itself or the lack of instruction uh, at the position, you know, this is an, another place where I think you'll have a legitimate upgrade in coaching. Upgrade in coaching, yes. Upgrade in everything being taught, being more, more in flow, more uh, sync with the rest of the defense, I think is probably even a more dramatic thing. I, I think a little bit more Harlan Barnett than most. I think he was incredibly limited by some of the restrictions and wants of him. Uh, so I'm not trying to trash him as a coach, but I think having a, a secondary coach whose ideas, instincts, and wants from his unit pair entirely with what you're doing with the rest of the defense is going to be uh, a noticeable thing. And I think, uh, you know, I think Levante Taylor and Stanford Samuels suffered from a lack of coaching and a lack of consistency uh, that hopefully the guys that we talked about are, are going to be the beneficiary of. I, I completely agree with you there. Um, so with, with Samuel Jr., uh, to me what stands out is, like you said, the instincts and, and, and the quickness. I, I don't know that he has like 4-3 speed but I, I, and, and the recovery speed. I, I, I want to see a little more. I think he's a fast player, but what's always stood out to me about him uh, is is the short area quickness, the ability to change direction, the ability to mirror and to shadow receivers. I, I think he's a really nice fit for you on on the field side. He's not a big guy, so uh, it's not that he's not a willing run defender, but at the same time, he doesn't have uh, the same level of, of bulk that some of these other guys we're going to talk about do. Um, he's being mentioned pretty highly on, on some of these early draft boards. I, I think uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but I, I do think he's a a quality player. I know we had some some questions in the Patreon about him. You know, do you think he can be a a Ronald Darby or a Lamarcus Joyner? And and I don't think that he's really either of those guys, right? Like Joyner had a crazy like missile like physicality to him, and and really strength for his size that was pretty rare. And and Darby, I think, has better long speed uh, than Samuel Jr. does. But I do think Samuel Jr. can be your best corner and, and one of the best corners in the ACC because of his ability to stay in the hip pocket of receivers. He, he's not a guy who gave up a lot of short passes last year, right? I mean, he's, he's somebody who can stay on you, and I think they're extremely excited to have him. Um, but, man, they're just sticking on that field side corner. This is interesting because I don't know who's going to start at the other corner. Like, we know Samuel has one locked down. You could easily see Jerry and Jones be Samuel's backup because I know he's trained over there this, this fall, the, the Mississippi State transfer. That gives you an entirely different look uh, than than Samuel. Jerry Jones is a big dude. He's got a receiver like frame. I know they've been pretty impressed with him in camp. Uh, not the same change of direction as Samuel Jr. has, but 
a guy with with better length, probably a little bit better ability uh, to you know to play physically just because of, of size differences. Uh, and then Jarvis Brownlee, my, my my guy out of Carroll City, a player who I, I spoke about many times on the old cast, even before Florida State offered him because they just I was seeing him ball out at all these events and games that I went to. Uh, and then they finally do offer and they flip him from Miami uh, at you know kind of late in the process. He's in the mix here too. So th- this is a a pretty loaded group. I mean, if Jarvis Brownlee is your third teamer, I'm feeling really good, man, because I, I think Jarvis Brownlee could start for a good number of ACC teams right now. So those are technically your backups at field, I guess. But at the same time, they've cross-trained all these guys because of COVID. I mean, this is something that what, what happens if one dude goes down? Are you going to move somebody else up or are you going to take somebody from the other side? Miko Dotson is their FAU transfer who uh, has actually exceeded my expectations in practice. This is a guy who was okay. They bring him in. He could probably play in, 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 in the slot role. He's not the biggest. He did lead the country in interceptions last year. That's impressive, but at the same time, we know there's a, a boatload of luck involved in, in grabbing interceptions and getting him from FAU to come over. He might end up starting for you opposite Samuel Jr. I, I don't think it's guaranteed that he does, but it's certainly possible uh, that he does. And then we get to a name here, and again, I mean, Jerry and Jones could be your starter there on the opposite side. I, a lot of it, too, I think will depend on, on matchups, right? If, if a certain team plays a certain way, like you're going to have what you what you look like in in your base against certain teams, and then probably your base is going to look different against other teams. We haven't even talked yet about Akeem Dent, right? Akeem Dent is is a corner who has made big strides in camp. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up a starter at some point uh, this year. And then Demari Tate, your, your five star, who I mean that was really big of Florida State to hold on to him. It, it was a, a good recruiting win for them because. That was kind of the one player in this recruiting class that they just signed who the other really big schools legitimately wanted down the stretch, right? Clemson, Georgia, those level schools were, were still contacting Tate regularly, and, and yet he stuck with Florida State. I, I don't think that he's going to be a guy who's going to come in and play immediately uh, as far as starting, but damn, dude, like he, he's probably going to get some snaps. I, I feel pretty strong about the corner position because of the talent and because of, of the coaching that I think they're going to get. Sitting here looking at this, I don't think there's anywhere else on the roster that, you know, look, just looking at the names, Samuel, obviously, we understand. Jones being a starter wouldn't surprise me. I'd be very comfortable with Brownlee, Ditto, Dotson at this point, Ditto, Dent, kind of the expectation from where he was as a high school recruit and some of the good flashes that you saw last year and then Tate uh, being this, you know, the, the athlete and the recruit that he was, there's depth here. And then there's so many names that you would feel comfortable receiving a large amount of snaps slash starter snaps that can't be applied to any other position group. And it's uh it's the, the one place when you look at this, you're like, wow, this is a, this is a great amount of depth. It'll probably be needed at, at some point this year, but the amount of flexibility with who you could see starting, who you could see taking snaps, I just doesn't exist anywhere else on the roster. We only spoke about two corner positions. It, it is interesting to me when, when they decide to go to more of their nickel package. Uh, you know, do, do they want to go with the third safety? Do they want to go with the third corner? I know Coach Adam Fuller has actually discussed their, their ability to play different types of nickel because of the personnel that they have. I, I think that going three corners here makes a lot of sense because you could do something like slide Miko Dotson into the slot and, and, and play him as your nickel 
and and use either Jerry and Jones or or Akeem uh, to you know to play your other corner opposite Asante, or if you feel like it, you could actually put Asante uh, in in that corner spot if you feel like you need to play more man coverage because he is a very good man coverage player uh, f- from the slot. So you have some options there. I expect a better secondary this year at the corner spot, and and I also think you could see an improvement. In safety play this year, uh, it, I, I don't feel quite as strong about this group as, as I do about about the, the the corner group, just because of the uncertainty about about the starters. But I, I think that uh, your floor here is still relatively high. I guess your ceiling is high too if both guys uh, you know are healthy and 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 like the role. But we'll start uh, we'll start at the buck position. The buck is your safety who's going to play more in the box. Your t- more traditional strong safety they call it the buck, but I mean, he's going to align to the boundary so he doesn't have to cover quite as much space. You guys kind of get the gist here. He's a little more of your your, your run stopper, your, your your short zone defender, your guy who might be asked to cover a tight end, not necessarily the guy who you want to be lined up against uh, You know, a, a really speedy uh, slot receiver and, and have to carry him deep, uh, You know, one, like basically in, in cover one type situations. It's going to be Jaden Lars Woodby. A dude who was moved around a lot and then was hurt, a former five star out of California, has stuck with the program and stuck it out. And I, I think, I think that, that that pretends well for his future and, and career at Florida State. He flashed as a freshman, and last year was was a struggle for him, man. You know, because he, he got hurt. Only twelve tackles, one tackle for loss, no picks, no forced fumbles. I'm expecting more, and it sounds like he has pretty much held down that role. Throughout camp, so they, that that may be a home for him that that he fits in well. It allows him to play the run. I don't think he's the best pass defender in the world. So, but yet I also don't think he's a guy. I don't think he's a guy who you as a coaching staff want to be taking on blocks a whole lot and playing like way up in the box, right at, at, at backer depth. So, allowing him to use his instincts to be a smart player and to use his uh, athleticism and speed to pull the trigger and be that eighth run defender to be that, that, that zone pass defender, uh, you know, down, down kind of that robber spot. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, that's, that's the kind of role that I see him filling here. And I, I feel fairly confident he'll do a good job. Yeah. I'm interested to watch would be, uh, you know, I, and I, I say this as a complimentary thing, the kid's smart as hell and he's got a big presence in the locker room and he's a, you know, obviously was a big time recruit and was one of the high water marks for, for Willie on the recruiting trail. I also think that when you're talking about that, you talk about a guy that's as, as big of a presence as he is. That I'm not going to say that you, you know, you become a starter uh, because, <laughs> because you're well-known or, or, you know, you kind of have a, an aura about you. It's not the, the right word that I'm looking for a little bit, but uh, it's just a guy, a presence and a guy who's smart enough to kind of be able to read his own team and mask some of his, deficiencies when you're talking about practice. So I'm a little bit interested to see what would be ultimately becomes, how he's worked into uh, into the rotation and what you ultimately get from him. I just think sometimes you may get a little bit of a, a little bit of an exaggerated idea as to what he ultimately be- could, could become just because he's a smart ass dude. And you realize what your own team's trying to do a lot of times in practice and can kind of mask some of your own deficiencies because of that. But a, a lot of good names here. Uh, spoke a couple podcasts ago that Raymond Woody's a name that I would circle and not just associate with the fact that his father was a former coach here. Really good athlete and somebody that I think in time will make significant contributions. Carlos Becker's a 
kid that I've always been a fan of and, and wanted the best of, and I think still has a, you know, still has a decent amount of potential that could be scratched there. And then Gant is a, you know, big kind of physical presence that, uh, that gives you an awful lot here. So, uh, it's an interesting position group with a, with a lot of different pieces, you know, not quite the depth that we talked about, uh, at, at the defensive back or, or cornerback, but a lot of different names that could be played here. And I'm, you know, excited to see how they try to use the, the skill sets that some of these guys have. I completely agree with you. And when I look at, at, at the, at the buck group, I see a lot of smart players, man. Like, like Brendan Gant is a smart player. Raymond Woody is a smart player. So if you had, like, if, if Jaden were to miss a couple games for whatever reason, I, I, I think you have some confidence that you have some guys who could step in and, and also, you know, play in, in, a, in an intelligent, sound way, which is going to be big. Like competency, competency, I think is really going to matter this year in, in, in the COVID era. I do think that more teams will lose games that, than they win them. And that's oftentimes a football cliche, but I think it really could be true in a year like this, you, you may just be as like, you might be as good as your worst player this year, especially because that worst player might have to play much more frequently than in any other previous year uh, that we could think of. Uh, now, as far as upside, there's a chance that your guy at free safety could be the best player on the whole defense. And yet there's a chance that, I mean, how much do we even see him this year? And that's Thompson natural team who has missed a, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of fall camp and, is coming off that knee injury he suffered. But dude, there was like a month-long stretch from maybe like before Halloween to kind of mid-November where he was just carrying FSU's defense last year. He was their leading tackler, 10 havoc plays from the safety position, 79 tackles. He had, he had 23 more tackles than anybody else on the team. Now, part of that speaks to the fact that the backers were not very good and you had to have a safety come and make all those plays. He also had two interceptions, which was was tied for the team lead with with Samuels. It, he's a guy who did it all for you. If if he can get healthy and he can get right, and, and I'm not convinced that that he is going to get back this year to what he was last year during that special month that he had. Maybe he will. I, I don't know that we see him early in the year. Kind of doubt it. Uh, but I, I do want to list him first because the upside that he has here is is pretty pretty impressive. Yeah, it it really is. And you know what else is really exciting? Like what you talked about for 2020 is true with Nazaldine. When you talk about maybe the best, one of the best pieces on the roster. I think when you're talking about a two to three year window, that the same thing could probably be applied to Travis J. And we're not sure how much we're really going to see of him, uh, at least here. I mean, they're certainly going to make an effort to get Jay involved as he is one of the more special pieces on the, on the roster in general. But uh, you talk about Nazraldine, we need to talk about guys like Cyrus Fagan, uh, Renardo Green, and then Travis Jay are all options here at the free safety position. So, um, you know, Fagan is a is kind of a veteran player that we've seen good moments from. Uh, I think you could be kind of a solid, dependable piece. Uh, be interesting to see ultimately what, what Green grows into. And then Jay's just, uh, you know, Jay is a explosive as as fluid a, a player as there is probably on this roster. Now, does that mean he's going to be, uh, you know, an all-American free safety? No, not necessarily. Uh, but it means he's got potential to be, you know, as as provide you with with game-changing moments in a manner that I don't know that anybody else uh, on the defense does. So, uh, some some real reasons for optimism, and also um, I don't want to say some concern, but you talked about Nashville needs injury. 
uh, you talked about, uh, you know, or we talked about Fagan and uh, both a, a solid player, but also some some elements of limitation there. So uh, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see ultimately what at, they get out of this position. But if people can stay healthy, if Nashville Dean comes back, uh, even at eighty five percent, ninety percent of where he was prior to injury, then uh, we've got another another piece here that can be projected to be a, a you know nothing but a solid contributor to what the overall defense is able to do. I agree with you. I, yeah, it, it. I think if you're this coaching staff, you have to be pretty encouraged that you have a guy like Cyrus Fagan who could be ready to start early, early in the year if, if Nashville Dean is, is not ready uh, because of his experience, because you, you have to have confidence that he knows what he's doing. I think you like Bernardo Green's coverage ability quite a bit. This is a guy who came in as a corner, and we know last year he, you know, he kind of bounced back and forth some and, and did have some, some run at safety. Uh, this is the, the more free safety spot, so this is the spot that's going to be asked to cover more, and I, I think having him uh, play safety could help you because of his coverage ability. And you nailed it with the upside, dude. Travis Jay has as much upside potentially as any defensive player on this roster. Came out of, of high school as just an absolute freak of an athlete. Had to sit last year, I believe, due to the academic stuff. And now gets to play. And, I mean, he's flashed some in camp. Like, we, we've heard Mike Norvell and, and Coach Fuller and those guys, they're, they're excited about him. The question is, how quickly can you get him up to speed? I, I do wonder, like, is Travis Jay an example of a guy who, if we didn't have COVID and we had summer workouts together and we had spring practice is he a guy that we're talking about more because he was able to be with his team more, be able to be with the coaches more, and just get a better overall understanding of the scheme and what they're trying to do? Although you, I guess you could plausibly argue that, look, no, there's everybody is starting on you know, square one with this defense coaching staff because it's not the same scheme they were running last year. I, I, I don't know about that. I, I wonder if, if, if he's a guy who really could have benefited from from spring and summer stuff. But ultimately, I, I'm pretty confident Travis Jay turns out to be a good player for Florida State at some point. Uh, maybe it is this year. You want to just give kind of an overall idea as to the, basically we've talked about the entirety of the defense at this point, what we expect, you know, I, and I don't want to go, we don't need to have some long drawn out conversation here, but I do want to just spend two to three minutes about talking about expectations uh, kind of where we think is is a legitimate idea, where we think maybe some some kind of typical uh, late summer fan optimism creeping into creeping into the idea as to what ultimately you get from this group. Man, I, I think you can expect to have maybe a top twenty two defense somewhere in that area with with kind of the thinning of uh, of the overall college football field. That's not quite the statement that it might've been in years past, but it still would. That's what, like top 35 and yeah, I mean, it would, it would be a marked improvement. And I think you can, you know, I'm not trying to be a smart ass here, but I think you're going to see a dramatic upgrade in the overall coordination of the defense. What every position here is trying to do the expectations of, of the other 10 players on the field. Uh, I do think that, you know, and again, I'm not pushing propaganda, uh, but I do think that you're going to see an overall unit that is far more organized, uh, plays in a manner that's far more cognizant of uh, of the other pieces, and uh, really, really excited to see what Florida State has on defense because I think they've got, I think they've got the ability to be a much better defense than maybe people outside of Tallahassee realize at this point in time. 
Yeah, I, I like their ability to match up. Um, I also like their their early season schedule as far as going through some growing pains. We're not going to get into the Georgia Tech preview, but I don't think Georgia Tech is a team who, uh, from a pass game perspective, is, is going to be a big time threat to you. I mean, you're going to have to be ready because they're going to run some you know some vestiges of that triple option stuff, but uh, that they used to run, like like we saw them break out against Miami last year with a lot of that quarterback run game stuff that they were doing. Um, Ingram, I, I I think I might be a little more bullish on this unit than than uh, than you are. I I think they can be a top fifteen defense in college football. I, I just sat here and scratched out on on my notepad and and tell me if I'm missing something here. Maybe I am. I I easily could be missing somebody, but even if I'm missing one or two, that still gives them room to be top fifteen. So the defenses that I'm confident will be better than Florida State's defense this year. Okay, Bama, Auburn. Georgia, Florida, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt, Miami, A&M. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Probably Tennessee. Tennessee was already a top 20 level defense last year. and They, they bring back a, a decent bit. That's 10, that's 10 defenses. I'm not really all that confident anybody in, in the Big 12, although I think you can probably argue uh, Iowa State if you want. Right. I mean, like they're, I do think that continuity matters. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter at all on defense. Uh, so I, maybe we throw Iowa State in there. I'm not super confident that Texas will be TCU, I think is one that, like, if I had to bet, I would probably take TCU's defense over Florida State's because they do have a lot of good pieces coming back. And, you know, Gary Patterson's a hell of a defensive coach. But like, even if you throw Tennessee, like Iowa State and TCU on there, that's still 12 teams. Yeah. I, I, I think that Florida State, and again, I just don't think continuity on defense matters quite as much as it does on offense, which is why I'm pretty concerned about the offense as far as scheme continuity and whatnot. That's only 12 teams, man. I think they can get to a top 15 defense given the talent they have. I, I think you bring up a great point. I, I mean, both of us are projecting a significant improvement uh, from this unit. I, I think that's uh, what our listeners should should take away from. Uh, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to... You know, when I say top 22, I'd love for us at the end of the year to talk about a unit that was top 12. I mean, that would be that would be remarkable and a very reasonable expectation, in my opinion, uh, when we talk about uh, the pieces here and, and what you could ultimately get from them. So, you know, not to not to force too hard of a transition, but, uh, you know, one thing that we could be very confident about projections and, and what ultimately will look like is our our friends at For the Table Restaurant Group, Madison Social Township. Centrale, all fantastic options there right there in the shadows of Dope Campbell Stadium. Matt and his team have been with us since the first day we pressed record on the Nolpass and have been a, a partner the likes of which we could otherwise never never really hope to find. I've been ever so fortunate to work with them. And I say this all the time, but the fan base is, you know, there's just no other, I don't know if there's anybody else in the country uh, that understands the experience of being a, you know, a college athletic supporter and, and supporting their particular university in the manner that Badso does and, and, you know, obviously unique to Florida state. So great people, fortunate for us to be able to work with. And we just encourage you, whether you're passing through Tallahassee on a, on a business trip on a Wednesday or, or one of the few lucky souls that's going to be able to travel to Tallahassee and watch a game this year, uh, keep them in the back of your mind. Great people who uh, serve a great product and, and are only, only enhance the experience that is being a Florida state supporter. Absolutely, man. I'm, I'm I'm excited for those guys, and let's let's have an awesome fall season there with, with the help of Madso Township and, and Centrale. 
So maybe some some additional key stats we, we, we want to focus on for the defense as as we close this thing out. Uh, like we said, you know, overall, I think we're probably using SP plus or, or FPI, uh, not like total yards, obviously, because that's not controlling for pace. Uh, Ingram and I are pretty close. I mean, fifteenth and twenty second is not that big of a gap. Uh, we 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 both expect pretty significant improvement again. Fifteen to twenty second last year would have been like twenty fifth to like. 35th range. So that's an improvement certainly over where they were last year, which was 61st. Uh, some other areas that I think improved coaching will help. Past deflections or defense to interception rate last year, there were 108th in the country. Now we could probably just point to Akeem Dent and say, hey, if he catches two or three of those balls, A, I think people feel a lot differently about him, and B, that, that rate looks different. But I do think you'll have more guys probably in position. To, to make picks this year, not because of the, hey, turn around, the ball's coming type thing, because that's actually something that, uh, you know, I know we had a big Twitter thing because Jones made a pick and we're like, look, he turned around. The old staff never turned around. Like, actually, he was burnt on the play and the ball was severely underthrown. And if he had turned around and a good ball was thrown, he's toast and it's six. This staff is not teaching anything different as far as like you have to play through the hands. And if you're in phase, then you can turn around and make a pick. But if you're, if you're not confidently in phase, you need to play through the hands and, and, and get the incompletion, right? And, and get the pass breakup. Now, I will say, I think they will have more picks this year per game. Obviously, two fewer games, so or one fewer game. Uh, I think they'll have more picks overall because you are going to have fewer easy throws. A denial of easy throws, for me, is going to be a real key indicator that I'm going to look for for this defense. If if teams are just confidently able to go out and pick six, seven yards all the time on you in the pass game whenever they want it, then I don't know you will have more picks. But I think that they will deny some of those easy, th- easy throws a little bit better, uh, perhaps by trading off the explosive pass rate a little bit for you know a lower completion percentage. L- last year's completion percentage was uh, was not great. I mean, 61% allowed. Not quite as bad as Ole Miss, by the way. We were doing the Barton and Bud show, and Ole Miss uh, – Close to damn near sixty-seven percent allowed uh, on the year, which is just incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen that uh, from a Power Five team. So the the more picks relative to passes deflected and passes defense, I, I think is going to be something that that I'm going to be looking for. Uh, I want to see them do a better job on draws and like third down, you know, quarterback draw type stuff, and just regular draws. That's something last year they got killed on, man. And I think that a lot of that's just awareness. You know, and, and guys being smarter, playing more as a team. And, and I, I want to see them defend the middle of the field better. Funnel, like you, we, we have confidence in these corners. Funnel the ball outside to the corners more. Make teams complete passes against those corners uh, more regularly as opposed to always finding success in the middle of the field. I, I think that's going to be key. And then something else I want to see from this defense. Man, I want to see a better stuff rate. Last year, you know, they were only 86th in the nation in stuff rate, which is stopping run plays for uh, a zero one or negative yards. Like that's, that's something that, that I, you feel like if you have a Marvin Wilson and a Robert Cooper and a Corey Durden, assuming he gets back healthy fully, like that's something you want to, I think you want to see more of. And I think you have okay at defensive end starting. I mean, maybe better than okay with, with Kando if he, if he blows up. To me, that, that comes from the backers, right? That comes from, all right, Marvin needs to double team instead of Leonard Warner late to react 
the offense gets two and a half yards and it's second and seven and a half, which is not great, but it's not terribly uncomfortable. Second and seven, seven and a half. You need to have a backer fly in there and make that tackle at the line of scrimmage when, when Marvin eats a double. That stuff rate is dependent, in my opinion, on the backers. And I, I think you could see an improvement there. So like if we're looking for specific areas of the defense, I think that is, is absolutely some stuff we can point to. And then I was pulling up some other stats this morning that I want to see better. Uh, did we discuss third and long success rate allowed? Yes, we did. We did mention that. Yeah, 122nd is not ideal, uh, in my opinion. Um, I was just going to say, there's too many There's too many seconds. things about this roster with the pieces that you have on it where you're like, Ingram, did you know that last year they ranked 116th or you know, 122nd? I'm like, my Lord, no. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but that's a, there's too many good players. Uh, now, look, if we talk about some parts of the offense, I could be a little bit more understanding. But when we're talking about the defense, there's too much talent. There's too many pieces to work with to have numbers like that, whether it be, you know, havoc from your linebackers or, or third down uh, percentage allowed or whatever else that we're talking about. It's just, it's just tough, uh, tough to, to, Come to <laughs> come to terms that that's where you that's where you ranked in some of the analytics of individual position groups and individual situations last year, and that's coaching to me. Like like to be a hundred and twenty second in third and long success rate, I, I do think that's coaching, man. Because there's there's too much speed on this defense specifically, and like to to allow for that, like that that is an area where I do believe in upgrading coaching, even with the limited offseason. We should see improvement out of Florida State in, in that area specifically. Yeah. Um, one thing we did on the last pod before we sign off here, I want to make sure that we do, um, and also that we have a, <laughs> a mutual understanding as to what exactly we're rating, because I think my confidence rating of the defensive ends and yours was both different and also different as to kind of how we were defining our rating. But I, I think the confidence rating uh, that we gave the tackles in the ends uh, was a good thing, enhanced the listener experience and probably something that we should continue to do. So let's define exactly what we're rating, whether it be like their ability to perform the tasks that we uh, asked of them or just their, you know, general strength rating, you know, reflective of other position groups. Uh, but let's do give those two for the, for the backers and the defensive backs before we uh, wrap up what has otherwise been a, a pretty thorough <laughs> review of uh, of the linebackers and the, or at least the back half of the defense. We basically said, okay, what like uh, D tackles was going to be like a ten, probably, and tight ends was going to be like a negative one. Uh, I, I think the ratings is going to be how do you how would you rate how you expect their play to be? So that's both factoring in potential upside, but also you know potential needs to dip into your depth, uh, given the fact that. There will be injuries, and there more than likely will be some guys who miss games with with COVID throughout the year. Um, so, I guess we need. Do you want to do DBs as a whole, or you want to do se- you want to do separately? We should probably start with linebackers, I guess. Let's, yeah, let's start with linebackers, and let's separate the the uh, you know the corners and the safeties, uh, just to give a, a little bit of a better idea. So, uh, linebackers confidence rating. I'm going to give this group a six point four. Six point four. I like that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go, I think, a four and a half, simply because I feel like if I go a lot higher, I know I'm going to rate DBs very highly. I already gave the, you know, the, the, D, the D tackles a really high grade. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, think, I think four and a half for me because I, I do think there's some downside here. But yet, I would, like last year, I would have given them like a two. 
because they they played like crap. So yeah, I, I, I but if if you can get average linebacker play, which is about a four and a half, average linebacker play, I think you take it and you run to the bank, man, because you you have confidence your other positions are going to be pretty damn good. Uh, let's look at the safeties. Yeah, so at safety, I will I'll lead off here. I will give them a. I'm going to steal your linebacker grade. I'm going to go ahead and go six and a half here, uh, mainly because there's some uncertainty in my mind about what you get uh, out of Hamza. Clearly, if he was going to be healthy and start the year, I think you, you would give him a much higher grade. Yeah. Yeah, I'm personally concerned uh, with Nazaldine's health and what that will mean. I think there's, I think there's great position, uh, great, uh, you know, great names at the safety group. I'm not sure that spells out immediately in this year. Uh, I'm going to go with a six six here. Uh, if Nashville needs healthy and able to go, I would probably have that in the low, low sevens. And you are up for corner, sir. Corner. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to give this group uh 8.8, but I, I'm very confident and, uh, and what they're able to do. Love the depth overall. I'd love to see Samuels make a, or Samuel jr. That won't be quite as confusing this year with, with Stanford moving on, but Samuel jr. Uh, make a few more of the plays. Uh, Dotson will be fascinating to watch what he's able to do. I do think you're right that if you're going to a, uh, a coverage nickel, that he will be your starter there. And I've heard nothing but good things about Jones uh, since he's come over. And, and Brownlee is a guy that, you know, they, they think the world of. So, and we're not even talking about Dent or Tate, which are two of the bigger recruiting coups that you've had over the past two years. So, uh, tons of good things here. I'm going to stay in the high eights and, uh, and think that there's, uh, you know, think that we're going to see a special group out of the corners. I'm going to go ahead and give the same grade uh, as as you did. I, I think one of the reasons to be to be uh, high on this group is because of the names that Jones and Dotson are, you know, apparently ahead of based on what what we're hearing. I mean, for for Dotson and Jones to be getting reps over a Dent and and Brownlee and and Tate, I think is pretty. It, it speaks very highly of them because we know those guys have a certain level of athleticism and playmaking ability uh, that. You got to be pretty good to be beating those dudes out. So I'm I'm confident in in this group, and I'm I'm confident this defense is going to be one of the more improved defenses in the country. Actually, I I really think it'd be fun to see. You know, we intentionally went with the <laughs> with the defense first because because uh, it's going to be a much more pleasant conversation than aspects of the other side of the ball. But this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun to do. Uh, great to great to look at uh, each position, each player on the roster, really thoroughly enjoyed it thank you again to all our sponsors uh our patreon supporters uh want to shout them out as well and uh this has been another episode of the Nolcast bud we'll have a, a decent amount of these uh for people in the near future as we continue to do our position preview series and our season preview series and uh until next time certainly appreciate the listenership and uh, look forward to talking to you in the near future this has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.